I'm Kathy Zipp, Managing Editor of Solar Power World Magazine. Welcome to another edition of Solar Speaks, Solar Power World series that gives you the opportunity to hear from the industry's biggest newsmakers in their own words. Solar storage is a big topic, and with innovations occurring nearly every week, we are happy to be here with Tim Hennessy, president of Emergy, to talk about his company's new energy storage product that provides utilities and developers with a solution for large-scale applications. So, Tim, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks very much for inviting me. Absolutely. Tim, can you start off by briefly telling us more about Emergy? Yes. Emergy, well, the name came about from Imagine New Energy, and that's really the key to what we're looking at and what we're trying to do. One of the key things that we see in the world right now is that the costs of renewable energy have come down. And that's been the driver for anything that people have wanted to use in the past, for example, putting it into houses. And one of the elements that has always been missing in that whole activity is getting storage included in that. So Imagy is a company that has evolved and developed a technology called a flow battery. It's a vanadium flow battery. And what that is, I think we can cover in some detail, but in essence, you have the energy stored in a liquid and it is pumped around and then converted back into power. The company's been around for about eight years. We're based in Fremont in Silicon Valley. We've got about 110 people working for the company. We have offices in India where we've had a lot of our initial projects. And now in the last two years, have created the same focus in the U.S., looking at smaller and moving to much bigger systems for use on the utility grid side. Wonderful. Tim, how do the storage demands of large solar projects differ from residential and smaller projects? You know, almost flippantly, I wanted to say probably not much, but when you really look at it, it's quite different. I think we've seen in the press some of the news about different companies trying to launch what they call home or residential storage. There are companies that have been doing it for a while, either using lithium or lead, companies like SolarCity. And I think Tesla has just announced something. I think Apple is trying to look at something as well. And, and those are really all the small side. So it, you have your PV panels on the roof, and then you put in a battery, which allows you to ride through short durations of, of outage. So when the clouds come over the sun, you lose the power, and you want to be able to ride through that. So the batteries are, are meant to provide you with a firming factor to give you that, that confidence that it's going to be there. But the key thing with small grids, or sorry, with households, is that you're always tied to the grid. And I think that is the difference between when you go to a large scale or a utility size storage plant, you may have times where you are actually as big as the grid. If you think of an islanded system, for example, if you go out and look at Hawaii or any of the islands in the Caribbean, for example, where we're busy, you could put in a large scale storage plant, sorry, a large scale PV plant, and it becomes a significant portion of that local infrastructure. So much so that it can cause that area to become unstable. So the sun is shining, the sun goes away, and that grid is unable to absorb that change. You don't get that when you're in a small or in a residential application. But when you're on the big grid, you actually can see that. And that's something that is absolutely unacceptable in terms of the operator of that grid because it becomes unstable and can cause that grid to go offline and actually trip. And when that happens, clearly that's the worst case situation because then everybody 
loses their power. The other piece that's a little different is when you're on the on the utility side, you're actually selling to the utility. So your whole modus of operandi is to you know, sell your power into the grid, let the grid pay you for that energy, and then they distribute it and sell it, market up to the end users. Clearly, when you're in the residential side, you're actually just self-consuming. So you take the power from your PV panels and you absorb them yourself. So I know that Emergy just released a new series of vanadium flow batteries. So can you tell us how these flow batteries work? Yes, the key word in all of this is vanadium. Vanadium is an element, if we all remember our chemistry, number 23 on the periodic table. I remember when I first heard it, I said, oh, I remember it once at school, but where is it? Anyway, I looked it up, and the unique thing with vanadium is it's used to make steel. So you take vanadium, you mix it with iron ore, and it creates steel. It allows you to take the iron and make it more bendable, malleable. And it also has a property, and this is totally unique, the ability to create what we call four states of energy. It can create two, three, and a four state, and that allows one element to act as a battery. If you think of every other type of battery, all other batteries need to have two components that are different. One is zinc and the other one is bromine, or there will be an iron and a chrome, or it'll be a lithium with some other materials, cobalt, etc. Whereas vanadium can be as it is in four different states and as a result operate as a battery. Now the question is why is that important? And the answer is because it never ever wears out. It never ever gets to corrode, it never gets worn out, and you can do millions of cycles, literally, without any impact on that vanadium and that electrolyte. That is what everybody has been dreaming of. They're trying to get a battery that lasts you a great, great duration or a great long time. Vanadium is the one piece that can do that or the one element that can do that. The challenge in the past with vanadium has been its price. Because it's used in making steel, people have always said, well, you know, that's expensive. I can buy much cheaper iron. I can buy much cheaper zinc and people have tended to move their battery storages into those areas because the cost of the, of the electrolyte then becomes cheap. What we have done at Energy, which makes us very different, is we've taken the vanadium and we're able to source it from essentially waste streams. So, so streams or waste product that has literally no value to most people, except for us. And that's the key. Take this waste product, we can process it into our battery, and then we get these extremely long-life, deep-discharge batteries that work very, very well when you tie them into PV or to wind and even into to the grid. So obviously something that's going to last for a very long time would be a good fit for large solar applications. What other advantages do these vanadium flow batteries offer over other types of batteries, such as AGM or lithium-ion? The key, I think, in the, in the general sense on flow batteries is that flow batteries, by definition, they separate the energy from the power. So if you think of a, a car, car, you have the engine, which is the power piece, and then you have the fuel tank, which is the energy, or how long you can operate the car for. In the case of flow batteries, you separate the power and the energy. In all the other batteries that you referred to there, in fact, all classical batteries, the power and the energy are combined together. So if you want to buy more power, you have to buy more energy. If you want more energy, you have to buy more power. So you've got this, this issue where as you want to extend the duration of storage, and if you think of PV, this becomes very evident, you want to have four hours or six hours of storage. Why? Because at nighttime when the sun isn't shining, you need to have the storage. If you're buying a conventional battery, you keep having to double the size of the battery to add the extra hours. So the costs 
become prohibitively expensive. They become very, very high. The flow battery strength is that if you want more energy, you just add more of the vanadium, in our case, the liquid or the electrolyte. And that is a fraction of the cost of the whole system. So you're able to say, I can take a battery, I have one hour of storage, well, I want two hours. And all you add is liquid. I need four hours, all you add is additional liquid. And the overall cost impact of that makes it very, very effective versus any of those other technologies. And of course, because it lasts you forever and you can do all these deep cycles, 100% deep cycles, it doesn't get overly hot, you can run it without cooling, it ends up with a very cost-effective, or what we call the lowest levelized cost of energy of all types of storage in the chemical environment. That is definitely impressive. So you've spoken about recently taking this to the U.S. market. Is there a recent project where your batteries are deployed? Yeah, I wish I could say we have a whole lot employed in the U.S., and the answer is We've sold a whole lot in the U.S. and we are deploying in the U.S. So four systems are going into Hawaii literally as we speak if the boats can get out of the ports. We are putting three systems into the U.S. Navy in San Diego It's in about two months' time. We have just announced two systems that are going in, one into a college here in the Bay Area and the other one into the Los Angeles area with a very large German company. So these are all systems that are actually going into the field but are not operating yet within the United States. What we do have, though, is several, probably 125 systems that are operating in places like India, Slovenia, in Europe. Um, we have them operating in South Africa, Nigeria, um, and they will soon go into some sites in China as well. So these are all systems that are and have been operating for around about three years in some cases and running in very, very hot environments. So we have one that's integrated with PV in the deserts in India. And that system is tying the PV, providing a microgrid to a rural community with electricity. So it stores the energy that's generated that's in excess during the day. And then at nighttime, when people need the lighting and need the educational tools, they're able to, in fact, draw down from the battery. And it has about almost a day's worth of additional storage. And if you think of that, how would you get it? a day's worth of storage from a lithium-ion battery? The answer is there's no, no chance. So the cost-effectiveness of that is very encouraging for people who want to go in the microgrid environment, and that's tied directly to the PV farm. We're looking at some similar systems in Germany. Of course, the grid is much stronger in Germany. You don't have those kind of challenges. But the weird thing in Germany is it has very high penetration of PV and wind. So that means, as I said at the beginning, you get on occasions the wind and the sun at their maximum, and both fluctuations on the grid and you need a big cushion a big battery system to help support that and stop it bouncing up and down and that's exactly where flow batteries fit in and in particular where the vanadium energy battery fits in ideally great to hear about all the success you've had around the world and very exciting to see where that will take us in the U.S. as well. So I have one last question for you, Tim. Just a general question about your opinion of the storage market. I know that a couple of years ago, the lack of storage was really a huge argument against solar power, but now it seems there's many viable storage options coming to the market. So what are your thoughts on how solar storage has evolved and where do you see it going in 2015 and beyond? I spent many years in, in the utility business in different parts of the world, and um, including in the U.S. And one of the things, if you look back through history, is that we all started off with what we call distributed generation. In other words, you had little towns and villages that created their own generating plants. Then there, there was the move towards 
connecting all of these through a network or a grid and creating much more centralized, for economies of scale, power plants. And that was all good when there were very few alternatives. It created a reliable source for everybody to supply their energy. When one guy wasn't using it, it could be distributed to another area. And that made a lot of sense when you got economies of scale. What has changed in the last period is that the costs of producing energy from renewable energies, in particular storage, have come down so dramatically. And that means we are now able to take conventional PV and create power, or energy rather, that is lower than the cost of producing energy from these central plants. People often argue that and say, well, no, they're not, because I can get it from a coal-fired plant at, you know, six or seven cents a kilowatt hour. The answer is absolutely, but you have to run that. There are all the pollution issues, and you have to have this huge network of wires to connect it all together. When you add all of that up, is it the most cost effective? And the answer is no, because right now, PV is producing it at a very similar rate, probably around about nine or eight cents. And if you add storage to that in a distributed fashion, so you have it where the load actually is, you reduce the losses and you create these distributed or micro grids that are dotted throughout the network. It makes it much more secure, much more reliable, reduces the losses in the grid, and clearly, as we move forward, continues to basically fix the price of your energy. PV, once it's in, all you do is depreciate the cost of your capital. You don't have any escalations from fuel price rises or any of those kind of things. So it's a great solution to be added into the mix with what utilities currently do. Unfortunately, utilities see this as a threat because it clearly is addressing a piece of the market that they have no easy way of addressing themselves. But it is optimal way of going about getting the new markets in place where everybody's going to get the benefit of this and the economy as a whole. So it addresses the social needs in terms of much lower cost energy or levelized energy, and it addresses environmental issues that we have, and in the long run provides us with a much stiffer grid and a system, but it does disrupt the models that the utilities currently use. So we've got a lot of interaction, if I could use that word, between the utilities and, of course, these distributed solutions that are going out there. So things, I think, in the future are going to change rapidly. I don't think the utilities will disappear at all. They are needed. But the mix between how they go about generating and selling and how others are able to do that and run their own little microgrid is going to change. And I think that's the, the positive side. And it's an absolute trillion dollar market. It's really, really exciting. Absolutely. Very exciting and exciting to see how this interaction will result in a state-by-state -state way. So again, thank you so much for speaking with us, Tim. We'd like to thank you again for all your insight into solar storage in 2015. So thank you so much. Thank you, Kathy. This has been another edition of Solar Speaks. I'm Kathy Zip, Managing Editor of Solar Power World Magazine. Thanks for listening and please tune in next time.